Good evening, friends. We have a very special and wonderful program planned tonight, quite different from anything we've had before. And this being the 10th anniversary of Swami's passing, uh, we just felt it was the right appropriate thing to give it special energy. We had, a, of course, we had a marvelous meditation. Many of you attended uh, during the morning. But this program, we have to give um, credit where credit is due. Prashad designed this program, and it's weaving. The theme of it is the Divine Romance, which is the name of Swami's Sanata. And uh, we'll be re weaving some re uh, readings from Swami and music and brief comments from Jyotisha and from me. So, and then at the end, uh, after, it, it, towards the end of the program, we'll have a flower ceremony. And if you haven't gotten a flower, you should get one out in the uh, foyer. And when you bring your flower up and offer your, your uh, gratitude, your devotion to Swami, this morning during the six-hour meditation, Prashad had placed a vase of red and white roses on Swami's, about, at where his feet rest and his underneath the, the surface. And so on the altar, you'll see red and white rose petals, which were placed on Swami's crypt. And you can take some and then put them in that envelope. So it's a very nice memory of honoring this 10th year anniversary. So we'll start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Divine Mother, Friend, Beloved God, Great Masters, Jesus Christ, Babaji Krishna, Lahiri Mahashaya, Swami Sri Yukteswar, Beloved Guru, Paramahansa Yoganandaji, Great Saints of all religions, Beloved Swamiji, our lifelong friend and guide, we humbly bow to you all. Beloved Lord, awaken in us a yearning for thee, a yearning for the divine romance that exists between you and us. We are thine. Be thou ever ours. Om. Peace. Amen.
This is an excerpt from a talk that Swamiji gave in 1979 in which he explains how and why he wrote The Divine Romance. This sonata, this is Swami, this sonata that I'd like to play for you is called The Divine Romance. I wrote it some years ago, and the first movement of it, which we just heard, is called God's Call to the Soul. Forsake your delusions, seek me. We are in delusion so long as we think ourselves as separate from him. He is the only reality. As long as we think of ourselves as just human beings, men, women, American, French, actors, bankers, artists, housewives, we're in delusion because this isn't what we really are. We are really sparks of that infinite joy and light. So, God's call to, so God calls to the soul incessantly. But if we go away from that call and we feel we have to create, we create our own false reality. And we have to live according to the rules of that false reality until we learn. We get discouraged. We wake up the process we're going through right now in our planet. 
This incessant call of God to the soul is a theme that Swamiji returned to um, in many different ways. You know, Swamiji was a great devotee, deeply attuned to Master. Um, his whole life could be defined as discipleship. And so if we think of Master and the consciousness of the infinite in human form as the hub of a wheel, then all of the spokes that lead out from that, if they keep referring back to that hub, they're all united together. If they forget that hub, then they seem separate. And so Swamiji, being united to that hub, wanted to express that deep yearning of the soul and the divine romance, the play between God and not yet the devotee, God and his creation. He wanted to talk about that beautiful romance in many different ways. Every Sunday we hear the soul's journey expressed as the, um, as the flight of the little bird for the first time and the various stages that the little bird goes through from rebellion to gradually coming back to uh, learning the lessons from nature around and then finally understanding that the quest is a quest within. Here Swamiji has expressed in words as we heard, but more importantly for tonight, Swamiji has expressed that in music. So as we listen tonight to the various movements of the sonata, try to listen very sensitively because this first section is, the, is God trying to call us back and us, depending on where we are in this long journey, us being able to hear that call. You know, Master called it whispers from eternity because God doesn't overpower us. So those whispers from eternity, but they're constantly there. And depending upon how sensitive we are listening, we will begin to hear that call. Now the dilemma in this first movement and the dilemma at the beginning of the journey is that the senses and the involvement in the world, the intricacies and the magnetism and everything going on around us, that call is so loud that it's very hard for us to hear the whispers. And only gradually, as we really what Swamiji said, as we gain experience, because why do we heed the calls of all of the things of the world and all of the simulation of the senses, it's only because we're looking for fulfillment. And God's great drama is that he fools us again and again and again, like a mirage in the desert. We go there seeing perfectly clearly an oasis and we're thirsting. But when we arrive at where the mirage is, we find nothing but dusty sand. And so again and again, the world calls to us and we respond. And it only after we've 
gotten some experience that says, because the soul is always listening to those, the call within, the whispers from God, the soul says, uh, I think I've had enough of this drama. I think I'd better begin to listen to the call within. And so this first movement catches that kind of dilemma and drama of the first awakenings of the soul and its interplay with the ego, finally saying, yes, I want something more, and I'm beginning to know where to listen for it. It's within. I read a beautiful quote once that said, in every person, every individual, there is a God-shaped hole in his heart, and nothing but God can fill that. And we think it will be another person, we think it will be success in career, whatever. But that hole can only, it's like a, the missing piece of the puzzle, and it's God-shaped. And the only thing that will complete our heart is that. And Swamiji was so, he was such a marvelous teacher because we watched him over the decades work with thousands of people and he never made anyone for when they got caught in delusion, when they made mistakes, when they left the path and then came back, whatever it might be. He never criticized, he never judged, he just waited. He waited for that soul to say, this really didn't make me happy. And he allowed each person to come to that realization patiently, kindly, supportively. And uh, it was just such a wonderful, you always felt you had the freedom to be yourself, to make your own mistakes, but at the same time, that he stood there as an unwavering example of a soul that had given their life without any qualification, without any, well, I'll give this much, but I won't give that much. He just gave it all to God in service. And I was kind of doing a little math in my brain this morning during the meditation, I have to admit. And he came to India when he was 76 to start the work there. That's not a young man. And he was in poor health to begin with. It was not a vibrant 76. And he remained in India serving and for the last 10 years of his life. And it was just so inspiring for all of us who got to be with him there or see him there, just to realize that he was living the example that there's nothing else in this life that has any meaning but love of God and service of God. And that's what's represented in this first movement of the Sanata. Long I've called you, my Lord, long I've called you. Offered candles in 
second part of the sonata is excuse me called the happiness of living for god and this is what swami says then comes the happiness of living for god people who live for god this is something that people have remarked again and again who have visited ananda who have met people who lived here they say that your people are so happy, they're so free, they don't have defenses. It's because when you live for God, you don't have to defend anything. You know that he'll defend you, he'll take care of you, and you know that he does. You see that he does, you see it work, and so you begin to develop that kind of glow that kind of happiness that comes from living for God. We've often had people visiting the expanding light for the first time, and they begin to see people from Ananda, and they see that everybody's happy. And not, uh, not a few of them have taken two or three days to realize it isn't fake that people aren't putting on a smile or acting as if they should be happy, that even when nobody is observing them, they're happy. So that happiness begins to grow. See, the first movement is, do I respond to God's call or do I seek my happiness as I've sought it before? And it's only as we begin to... Um, respond to God's call, that we find that happiness can be more than just temporary. Ultimately, as devotees, we know that happiness lies within, uh, but it takes a long, long time before you come to that realization. For a long time, you think happiness lives outside of yourself in some kind of an accomplishment, in some kind of a getting that which you don't have. 
It is only slowly that it dawns that you already have that which you're seeking. Swami often used the example of the musk deer, that in the fall, this smell of musk begins to drive the deer crazy, and it's looking for it and looking for it and searching, and sometimes it will, in its search, in its frenzy, it will fall off a cliff and be, be killed at the bottom. And then the hunter comes and he cuts out the sack of musk from inside the deer. Swami would tell that um, story occasionally. I think it actually came from Master and from the lore of India. Um, but he would repeat that as an example of that which we seek is already within us. But it's only as we begin to change our momentum a little bit from seeking, seeking, seeking to living for God. And there are two main things that are the keynote of a person who has made that transition. The first is that there is a growing desire to find permanent happiness, a growing desire. At first, it may not be even translated as a search for God. There are many, many sincere seekers in the world who essentially reject the name God, the term God, because their imagination has conjured up some wrong image. And so it may not, at the beginning, take on the appearance of a search for the divine or a search for God. It may just be that they're searching for some more permanent happiness. And as Swamiji often pointed out, because this is his moksha um, evening, we'll keep referring back to some of his teachings. As he pointed out, that at the beginning of the stage where we're turning within but haven't made that transition very far yet, we're drawn to books. We're drawn to something that will help us. And the bookstores are filled with self-help, um, psychological books that give some element of, if you search in this way, you'll find a more permanent happiness. And so that first beginning of the quest, as it's called in the, um, in the Festival of Light, the beginning part of the quest is we're still looking for somebody outside of ourself who's got some knowledge or some techniques, and we look for it in books. Or Probably today we look for it on YouTube or, or some <laughs> place, but we're, we're kind of like uh, hungry people who have first come in to uh, all-you-can-eat banquet. You know, we try a little bit of this and try a little bit of that and uh, nosh here and nosh there. But gradually as we find that that doesn't get us very fulfilled, then we begin a deeper element of that search. And we begin to call out, and we be, then, then we attract to us 
a true teacher, a true teacher such as Swamiji. And that teacher talks not from theory, but from experience. And that's where the magnetism comes from, the power, because they have experienced what they're talking about. That was what drew me when I read the autobiography of a yogi for the first time. I couldn't quite understand everything. In many cases, I couldn't accept everything. But I darn well knew to the bottom of my bones that this man was speaking, he knew what he was talking about and was speaking, speaking from experience. And so as we begin to find that kind of magnetism, that draw to us, then we begin to want our life to be led in harmony with that search. At first, it's just a little kind of an add-on, like a little hobby that might be interesting. Davy and I gave some classes in San Francisco when we were starting the ashram there. And there was a unity church and a very nice facility. And it had many, many different classes. And so we were starting a six-week-long How to Meditate course. And Davy was at the registration table. And these two kind of socialite ladies came up and said, oh, what's this class? And Davy said, oh, it's how to meditate. And one of them said, oh, we already did that one. <laughs> well, if you've already done it that way, you you're still have a way to, ways to go. But that hunger, that knowledge, that it, see, the soul is always responding to the whispers of God, as we heard in the first, about in the first movement. So the soul is responding to that, and as it responds more and more, the time comes when it wants not just to study a little bit, not just to have it as a hobby, but wants to live, wants to live in that vibration. And then we attract a teacher who teaches us to meditate, whether we think we know it or not, and magnetizes us so that we begin to practice meditation and make it a daily part of our life. And then as that grows, there comes absolutely naturally as an expression of the soul that we want, we're, we're being fed, we're being served, we're being given something, and the soul wants to give back. And so the soul wants to serve. And we've seen people all over the world who have a hunger to somehow serve the light that has been feeding them. It's a beautiful interplay. As Swami said, the, the whole sonata is called the divine romance. And this stage of the divine romance where the call of the devotee comes and we want to live a life for God and where we want to serve, to give back and complete the cycle. That's a beautiful, beautiful stage in a devotee's life. In many senses, we're all living that. Um, I think we're living, however, beyond that, as we'll hear in the third movement. But um, we're, we're involved very deeply 
in this beautiful, beautiful divine romance. And as you listen to the second um, movement of the sonata, which will be played, um, listen to the happiness. That's what Swami is talking about here. The happiness and the joy that comes when we live a life in God. Set hearts aflame. 
Praise ye the Lord, all creatures, he who did make the mountains, he who did make the woods and fields, he who made the sky. Praise him who gave us gladness, praise him who fills our hearts with song, praise him who lifts their notes on high, there where earthly hopes belong. Praise ye the Lord, all creatures, he who did make the seasons, he who did make the hush of night, he who made the sun. Praise him who gave us laughter, praise him who taught our hearts to love, Praise Him and thank Him, everyone. Seek Him in His light above. Praise Him who gave us laughter. Praise Him who taught our hearts to love. Praise Him and thank Him, everyone. Seek Him in His light We come to the third part of the sonata, which we will hear in a bit. And this part is called The Soul's Cry to God, Lord, I Long to See Thee. And this is what Swami says about it. Even the happiness of living for God isn't enough. There comes a point where the soul says, I don't want just that kind of happiness a yearning to know the highest reality that there is. I yearn to go deep in meditation and sip at the fountain of eternity. Then the soul uh, cries, my Lord, I long to see thee. Lord, I long to see. I want to see what reality really is face to face. So this is the story that I put into music. And really, I think it's more accurate to say this is Swamiji's story that he put into music. Because when we read The New Path, we didn't know him when he was a young man, but you feel this intense, intense search for, the, for what is real, what is true. And then finally he finds it in his guru and he has those beautiful three and a half years at master's feet. And then some time passed and this is where we entered the story. Then he began Ananda. But in those early years, actually several decades, he was so filled with enthusiasm and everything, it, it just creating this and writing that book and starting the expanding light and starting new centers. And uh, it just, he would, and reading P.G. Woodhouse. And uh, we love to listen to the recordings, just mainly to listen to him laugh as he read it. But so much happiness, so much joy, and so much enthusiasm for everything. And but then as the decades went by, and he endured a lot of poor health, true, but I think he, um, perhaps it's presumptuous of me to say this, but it's, 
I, one senses he got to the point where, Lord, I've done everything I know how. I've used every ounce of my energy to serve you, to try to share your teachings with others, to try to bring people onto the path. And I've done it to the very best of my ability. But, Lord, I want to see thee. And towards the end of his life, when often caught him, if you just caught him out of the corner of your, lie, of your eye when he wasn't engaged with you, he just had this deep wistfulness, like, Lord, I've, I've known what I've given you, what I, what I came into this life, whatever gifts I've had, I've given you. I've had a fulfilling life, but Lord, I'm done now. Let me be free. Let me let that yearning that began early on in my life, and now it comes to the end. And he said to us a number of times, I no longer know where Yogananda ends and Kriyananda begins. That merging had begun, and that born of deep soul longing. And in a sense, I say to you as my friends, that's his greatest gift to us, was to tune in to that deep, deep yearning. Try to find it within yourself. Because that's the most, all his lectures, all his music, they're, they're a legacy that will endure. But the longing, unqualified, profound longing of the soul for God, that's, for me, the most important of everything he did.
Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, Friend, Beloved God, Jesus Christ, Babaji Krishna, Lahiri Mahashaya, Swami Sri Yukteswar, Beloved Guru, Paramahansa Yoganandaji, Saints of all religions, Friend and Guide, Swami Kriyananda, we humbly bow to you all. Beloved Lord, we long to see thee, to, to live in thy light, in thy joy, and to share that joy with everyone. Om. Peace. Thank you all. And let's leave quietly because some people may want to stay and meditate. <laughs>